Our Father and our God, we understand indeed that it is the cross that is the very centerpiece and focal point of all our faith. It is on that cross where redemption was accomplished. It was there that the mission given to the Son of God was ultimately completed and the people of God were purchased with the price of shed blood. And so we pray, Father, that as we gather for worship this morning, we will be reminded uh, of not only the things that Job faced, but also the things that our New Testament Job faced. The sufferings that Jesus Christ endured on behalf of his people. And I pray, Father, that you might, uh, by your Spirit, attend so that we might be drawn into this presence of the living God. It, it would be enough, Father, if your people might be able to sense that indeed they had heard something that did not originate from men, but came from heaven just for them. Father, bless our time in the Word, but also meet us at this table. And, and, and there remind us that without the life and death of Jesus Christ, there is no hope for sinners. That it is there that we are reminded that Jesus Christ lived the life we should have lived and died the death that we should have died, all as our substitute. And might that grand work be the thing that drives us into greater heights of holy living. We commit ourselves to that and do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. I invite your attention now to the 42nd chapter of Job, and you follow as I read the first six verses as this whole series on Job winds down. We have uh, one more installment, which will be next week. But um, let me read you uh, the first six verses of chapter 42, which is the last chapter in that book. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you, therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. In some ways, what I have to say to you this morning is really a statement of the profoundly obvious. But before I say it, I, I uh, want to explain why I think it's necessary to say it. Gang, when um, the subject of pain or trial or difficulty or suffering, whatever term you want to use, when that subject comes up, think about it. Think about the conversations in which you find yourself when that subject is the, is the subject. How does the conversation go? What is the drift? What is the dominant theme of the discussion? Well, I, I dare suggest that you would agree that the dominant theme of our discussion becomes how I can make it through 
my trial, whatever it happens to be, without losing my, my sanity. And I understand that. Uh, anybody who's ever endured any pain uh, will um, always want to have less of it. I understand that primarily when even my sermons, in fact, ladies and gentlemen, some of you may remember that when I started this at the beginning of the summer, I I wrote it out in um, the the update, the grace update I sent you. And I said something like this. um, This is my best shot at uh, giving you an enjoyable summer. You, You may not remember that, but that was in the news update or the grace update. And what I meant by that is what I wanted to offer you on these Sunday mornings was something that would help lighten your load in terms of whatever it was that you were facing across the summer. Well, uh, that is simply consistent with what I'm saying in, in, in every discussion in which we find ourselves concerning uh, this issue of difficulty. The, the dominant theme is how can I get through it? without losing my own sanity. Well, this morning in my next to last installment of this series, I want us to shift the focus. I want the focus to be taken off of us and placed elsewhere. And you'll see that in just a second. My issue this morning is not any attempt to try and help you make it through whatever it is you're going through. My goal this morning is simply to remind you that God is watching how you make it through whatever it is you're going through. Gang, It doesn't take much reading between the lines, but just a little. If you uh, listened as I read those six verses out of chapter 42, you will realize that Job realizes, oh no, God has been listening to everything that I have been saying to Zophar and Bildad and, and Elihu. He even says, I have uttered what I did not understand. Job becomes aware as a result of verses of chapters 38 and 39 and 40. He becomes aware that there was an unseen watcher this whole time. He becomes aware that in the midst of all that he had experienced and all of this dialogue that had taken 36 chapters, that there was someone who was listening in as he spoke. And it was God. I am here to remind you that you, like Job, are being watched, are being evaluated, being critiqued as to how you handle whatever it is that God has given you to handle. In my book, ladies and gentlemen, that raises the stakes considerably because the issue The issue for the morning, at least, is not not the size of my pain, and it's not the dimensions of my pain. It's not the, the, the horrible experience that I'm in. The issue becomes the statement that I make to God in the way that I handle my pain. 
that, that's what I meant when I said I want the focus to be taken off of us. Not, not the enormity of my trial. But to shift the focus off of the enormity of my, of my trial onto, oh my. In the midst of whatever it is that I'm experiencing, I'm being watched. And there is a concern, or should be a concern on our part, as to how we do. Gang, from, a, from an eternal perspective, my pain is not the issue. How I handle my pain, that is the issue. I want you to consider something with me, ladies and gentlemen, but that I bet... I bet you 90% of you didn't know it was even in the Bible. But you've never heard this before. Got your Bibles? Open them with me to Ezekiel chapter 24. Ezekiel is not a fun book. It, it ends gloriously. But it's not a fun book. It's not an easy book. And I, I bet you, and if I'm wrong, forgive me, but uh, I bet you 90% of you have never seen this brief vignette that's included in the book of Ezekiel. Now, again, let me state it clearly. From an eternal perspective, the issue is not the size of my pain. The issue is how I handle my pain. Are you ready? Ezekiel 24. Here's the story. It takes about six verses. You follow it as I read it to you. This occurs in the life of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 24, beginning at verse 15. Also the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, behold, I take away from you the desire of your eyes with one stroke. Yet you shall neither mourn nor weep, nor shall your tears run down. Sigh in silence. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind your turban on your head and put your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your lips and do not eat man's bread of sorrow. So I spoke to the people in the morning and at evening my wife died. And the next morning I did as I was commanded. Gang, that's a hard story to stomach. You know, some folks would never dream that their God would ever do anything like I just read you. What kind of God is this? Well, I could answer that question in all sorts of ways. But this much I can say to you, ladies and gentlemen. All of life. Including your pain. All of life is about His glory. It is not about me. We matter. But we don't matter most. Now that said, ladies and gentlemen, here's my lesson. As I said it in my opening words, uh, the statement of the profoundly obvious... The, the, the lesson that I, lesson number eight out of nine, 
is that the issue in my situation of trial is on how I respond. That means, ladies and gentlemen, we must stop seeing ourselves as victims and more as agents. That is, we are responding to a set of circumstances. You know, um, again, uh, may I reiterate something that I say frequently. I, I've never considered myself a counselor. I don't promote myself as a counselor. And those of you who have come to my office know that I'm not lying to you. But um, I do do my share. And I have people who come to me again and again and tell me about the entirely dysfunctional home out of which they came. You know, their parent, their father was an alcoholic, their mother did this, their daddy did that, their brothers did that. And guys, and, and, it, and it grieves me. But I want you to know something. Every one of you, including me, we all came out of dysfunctional homes. All of us. And we have a choice. We can either view ourselves as victims or we can view ourselves as agents. That is, agents who have choices as to how to respond to whatever victimization may have been true about me. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm suggesting that in this whole subject known as pain, trial, suffering, affliction, whatever you want to call it, that God has assigned us to task. And then he awaits to see how you and I will grade out. And that's what they do with college football game films. They go over them on Sunday and they grade each player as to how he played. Well, gang, that's hard for folks like me who have been trained to think that I'm the center of the universe. Well, as I said, we have to... Uh, we have to shift our focus. I, I want to tell you a story this morning that is a story that only a preacher would tell and only a loving congregation would even listen to. It's such a maybe what you would call quaint little story, but only a preacher would tell this story. It's a story about a farmer who had an old mule who uh, fell into the farmer's well. And um, the, the, when the farm, when the mule fell into the well, he began to just bray. I, I guess that's what mules do when they fall into wells. But um, after carefully assessing the situation, the farmer decided, although he sympathized with his mule's plight, he decided that it would have been more trouble to try and get the mule up and out of the well. So he called on his friends to come over and asked them to bring a load of dirt with them so that they could simply cover up the well with the mule in it and put this poor mule out of his misery. And so they agreed and came over and brought the dirt and began to shovel the dirt into um, the, the well. And uh, immediately when that first shovel load of dirt hit the mule's back, the mule went crazy, just hysterical. Um, and the men on top continued to shovel dirt in. And, and each time the, shove, the dirt hit his back, um, the, the, uh, the mule got more and more hysterical. And then a thought struck him. That is the mule. He, um, it dawned on him that, um, that every time a shovel load of dirt landed on his back, if he would just shake it off, and step up, 
then uh, eventually he could get himself out of this mess. And so that's what he decided to do. Blow after blow, he kept reminding himself, shake it off and step up. Shake it off and step up. Shake it off and step up. No matter how painful were the blows or, or distressing his situation might seem to be, this mule fought his own sense of panic by, by the strategy of shaking it off and stepping up. And it wasn't long before that old mule, battered and exhausted, stepped triumphantly over the wall of that well. Now, what it appeared would bury him actually became the thing that delivered him. All because of the manner in which he responded to his adversity. Isn't that a cute little story? But guys, guys, it does illustrate the lesson that I think we should draw from the book of Job for this morning. And that is, the issue is not the size of our pain. The issue is how the people of God respond. You know, there, there's something that you need to know about your Heavenly Father. If you've, um, if you've never seen this, you might want to take your Bibles and follow. There's a couple of three occasions I want to show you. But um, on occasion, our Heavenly Father has been known to bring about a certain set of circumstances and then to watch us as we respond. Did you know that he did that? Let me read you several of them, actually three or four. Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. Um, Exodus 16, 4 says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. And go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now, gang, if you look at that text, that's in Deuteronomy 8, chapter 2, to test you, to know what was in your heart. Who is the object of the knowing? That is... Was God trying to find out or was that information being made available to us? I don't know. But I simply want you to see that he arranges a set of circumstances so that you can be tested to discover whether you will obey or whether you won't obey. One or well, two more. Uh, same book, chapter 13. Deuteronomy 13, verse 3 says, um, You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for their Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart or with all your soul. Just one more. Judges chapter, 20, Judges chapter 2, verse 22. And the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. Um, excuse me, that's the wrong chapter. 
so that through them I may test Israel whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their families kept them or not. Now, all I'm saying to you, did you realize that? That your heavenly father, on occasion, sends a, 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 um, a set of circumstances into your experience to figure out how you're going to respond. Why does he do that? Well, let me put it like this, ladies and gentlemen. You can only find out what's on the inside of a tube of toothpaste when you squeeze it. God does that. Whether it's for his benefit or ours, the point is, it's only in the squeeze that our insides become known. Will I or won't I shake it off and step up when I am pummeled from every side? Just exactly what will calamity squeeze out of me? You know, guys, it could be something as mundane as traffic. Yesterday, were you out doing some back-to-school shopping? I wasn't, but I was out. And I got in some traffic, and it was it was frustrating. And, of course, there's always a car broken down in the middle of it. What is it that comes squeezing out of you when life squeezes you? Huh? Because, gang... What I'm trying to suggest to you this morning is this. The issue is not your circumstances. The issue is, how do you respond in the midst of things that you didn't ask for, you didn't want, and in many instances, you don't even understand? i got to tell you another story. I've been saving this. This is one of those email stories that I'm telling you, I bet you every one of you got. I mean, if you've got any friends whatsoever, uh, you got this on your email. If you do not have, if you've never heard this, this means you have no friends. No one includes you in their address book. But it's the story, it's a true story about a young woman by the name of Brenda who um, was asked to go rock climbing and she had never been rock climbing before and she was scared to death. But she decided, because all her friends were going and they told her that it was safe, that she would go. And so overcoming all of her fears, she uh, met him at the bottom of this mountain thing. And she put on all her gear, you know, all that, those pulleys and all that stuff that you put on. And, and um, began to head up this mountain, uh, you know, with, uh, with her friends. And as she made it up the side of the face of this rock, she came to a ledge where she could, you know, take a breather. And so she was kind of, uh, you know, congratulating herself when one of the ropes, the safety rope, snapped, uh, popped. It didn't snap in two, but it popped. Hit her in the eye and knocked out her contact lens. And, you know, she was blind as a bat without her contact lens, but she only lost one of them. But so, but she was frantic. You know, there she was, suspended between 100 feet down and a other 100 feet up. And... Eyesight is blurry, and she's looking all around, hoping that this ledge, that the, that the um, contact lens, 
had fallen on this ledge. Well, of course it hadn't. After she had looked and looked, the, the, the contact lens was nowhere to be found. So here she was doing something that she was scared to death to do. And, and she was without one of her contact lenses. And so she got so upset and she began to pray and ask the Lord to help her find it. But she never found it on the ledge and she kept working her way to the top. She got to the top of the ledge and um, her friends, you know, searched all of her equipment at the top of the, the rock and uh, searched all of her equipment and, equipment and couldn't find it. And uh, there she sat down and waited for the rest of the, her little group to make it to the top. And as she sat there looking out on this vast expanse of, of mountains and mountain ranges and kind of swept away with the beauty of it, of it all, she remembered a, a, a text, a, 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 a Bible verse that says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. And she said, Now, Lord, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. You know every rock. You know every leaf that is around here, and you know where my contact lens is. And, and I'm, I'm asking you, could you get me my contact lens? Well, about that time, at the bottom of that same rock formation, another team of climbers had begun to come up that same rock. And one of them, as he came to a place on this, on his climb, sees this contact lens and yells to the rest of his group, Hey, uh, did anybody lose a contact lens? Now that in itself is extraordinary enough. But this is how he found it. There as he was hanging on, on his rock climb, on the side of a mountain was an ant that was carrying this contact lens. And so when he got up to the top, he gives the contact lens back to Brenda and everybody, you know, yells and screams. When Brenda gets back home, she tells her daddy this whole story about the contact lens. Her daddy happens to be a cartoonist by profession. And so what he does is that in his cartoonist column, he draws a picture of an ant carrying a contact lens. With this caption underneath the ant, he said, the, the, the ant says, or the ant, coming out of the mouth of the ant, you know, ants speak, but in, in cartoons they do. He says, um, um, Lord, I don't know why you want me to carry this thing. I can't eat it. And it's awfully heavy. But if this is what you want me to do, I'll carry it for you. The point is, my brother and sister in Christ, I think it would do us, a lot of us, a lot of good to say, Lord, I don't know why you want me to carry this thing. It's awfully heavy. But if you want me to carry it, I guess I'll carry it. Because the issue, ladies and gentlemen, is not the size of your load. The issue is, how do you respond? Will you trust God when everything in your experience has gone wrong? 
Will I trust in the promises of the Word of God when everything in my personal experience flatly contradicts what I'm reading? I can only tell you that when you do, God is glorified. And that's the note on which the book of Job closes. The focus is off of Job and onto God. So what's your story? Everybody's got a story. Does your story contain a large measure of injustice? So does everybody's. And I want you to remember, the issue is how you respond. I'll read you a little clip out of a Ted Engstrom book. Some of you have heard Ted Engstrom. And then we're almost finished. He says, cripple him and you have Sir Walter Scott. Lock him in a prison cell and you have John Bunyan. Bury him in the snows of Valley Forge and you have a George Washington. Raise him in abject poverty and you have an Abraham Lincoln. Strike him down with infantile paralysis and he becomes Franklin Roosevelt. Burn him so severely that the doctors say he'll never walk again and you have Glenn Cunningham who set the world's one mile record in 1934. Deafen him and you have Ludwig van Beethoven. Have him or her born black in a society filled with racial discrimination. And you have a Booker T. Washington, a Marion Anderson, a George Washington Carver. Call him a slow learner, retarded, and write him off as uneducable. And you have Albert Einstein. All that's inspiring stuff, ladies and gentlemen. But it still falls a little bit short of what I'm trying to communicate to you this morning. Because I am not standing here pleading for courage or positive thinking. I'm here to remind you that you're being watched. I'm here to remind you that the real issue is how we respond. So tell me, what does your response to your situation tell the rest of the world? about the nature and the character of God. I close with this, because this is so stunning for me. I'm not sure anybody else will benefit from it, but something that I hope will help you as you are reminded, as we're trying to improve the way we respond. Jonathan Jonathan Edwards, a name that unfortunately is attached to one sermon The only thing most Americans know about Jonathan Edwards is that he preached a sermon entitled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It's a wonderful sermon. But Jonathan Edwards was probably the most skilled and and brilliant theologian that this country has ever produced. And Jonathan Edwards, when he was 18 years old, when he preached his first sermon, the first sermon ever preached by Jonathan Edwards at age 18, had these three points. This was the outline of Jonathan Edwards' first sermon. Point one, our bad things will turn out for good. Point two, our good things will never be taken from us. Point three, the best things are yet to come. I hope that will help. As you remember the lesson, the issue 
is not the size of our pain. The issue is how we respond. Our Father, I I do pray that you will encourage your people by reminding them that there is something at stake. And primarily what is at stake is your glory. And I pray, O God, that we as your people might face what it is that we're facing with a degree of grace and stamina. And that what will come squeezing out of us is something that will be lovely. Our Father, meet us now at this place where we are reminded of that event that has made it possible for us to call you our Father who art in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.